Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Don Callahan. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast. Don Callahan, of course, the recruiting guru for North Carolina. Christmas in February for you, Don. I know that you are uh, glad to have another one in the books. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's kind of um, it's end of a very, very long road, and it's it's kind of weird to kind of look back, see what recruits we were tracking early on and no longer tracking. It feels like there were like five classes ago, but um, it was a very interesting year with how everything transpired with the coaching change and um, new recruits and um, guys who end up signing with North Carolina that weren't on the uh, that weren't on you know the map for North Carolina up until a few months ago. So it's, it's been a good time. So just out of curiosity, uh, when was the first time you heard about any of these North Carolina signees? And I don't mean anybody specifically, but like how long ago did you maybe hear of a 2019 guy that was a potential target for North Carolina? Are you talking about the ones that signed today? Yeah. So so just in general, and I know it's a weird question, but people always ask me, when does the 2019 class or when did that class start? When do you start working on that class? Oh man. Um, I mean, a few years ago, I mean, I I guess um, off the top of my head, I'm probably wrong about this, but the first name that pops in my head just for the 2019 class was Kavaris Crouch because um, even when he was younger, everybody knew he was a man child and was going to be a really good player. Obviously North Carolina, at least towards the end, North Carolina wasn't much of a player for him. But, uh, but yeah, so we're talking, you know, uh, a couple of years of, of uh, the 2019 class um, being covered. A couple of years of hard work from Don Callahan, the North <laughs> Carolina staff. Let's talk about some guys that North Carolina picked up today and want to talk about the first one, who probably the all-name team, Wisdom Azabura. He popped last night. Don, so a little bit earlier than expected, but just tell me what North Carolina gets in this kid. We all see his measurables. We've seen his tape. Um, what else does he bring for North Carolina? Well, he brings a ton of potential, and you mentioned the measurables. I mean, you know, you just guys that are 6'8", 380 pounds, and can move like they're 180 pounds, they just they just don't fall out of trees. I mean, and and really most classes maybe have a couple of those guys. And so to be able to get a guy like that is, is just tremendous. And and the thing is, is that his best football is, I mean, it's such a cliche to say his best football is ahead of him, but, but truly wisdom Masterboro's best football is ahead of him because he's only played really one season of football and he didn't play against the greatest competition. So he has a lot to learn. He actually up until a couple of years ago had never even seen a football. So uh, he has a lot to learn, and the important thing is is that he's a smart kid, very, very, very intelligent kid. He actually took a, a, a I think I don't know if it was a full year off or, or not, but and went back to his homeland of um, Nigeria and actually taught middle school. So this is a very intelligent kid, and he's willing to learn. He's in. He's um, he wants to help the team. You know, there's always been a debate over what what position he'll play in college, whether he's an offensive lineman or defensive lineman. And he says he doesn't care. Whatever is going to help the team is where he wants to play. And, I mean, he's not just saying that just for lip service. He he means that. And I think that um, 
you know, the sky's the limit for this kid because he's a hard worker, he's smart, and he has all the intangibles. Let me ask you, a couple people ask at the Inside Carolina signing day party at Hickory Tavern in Carborough that we were all a part of. And if you're listening to this podcast and you weren't able to be there, you certainly missed a great event. We'll have Buck Sanders and Greg Barnes on a little later, and we'll talk more about that. But they all said, what position will he play? And you just commented that he doesn't care, but at at 6'8", and you figure he's listed as 280, they're going to pack plenty more muscle uh, pounds of muscle on him but at what point does he size out of a, a defensive line position i mean six eight six nine he's getting he's going to be about the tallest person i've ever heard uh, that's played for north carolina so your thoughts on maybe where he goes from there because i can imagine he's got a couple more inches in him and uh, you know 20 30 40 more pounds well, now, he might not have a couple more inches in him, and the reason I say that is that he's not a 17-year-old. He, I don't remember exact age, but um, I think he's he's pushing 21. So, he has, yes, he, you still grow in, into your 20s and everything, but majority of your growing, majority of his growing, I would assume, um, has already been completed. But to answer your actual question, I think if he can keep his agility and keep um, – his athleticism and continue to add on the weight. He'll be an unbelievable nose guard in the three, four positionless defense that, uh, that uh, Jay Bateman is going to be installing at North Carolina this spring. And um, I I think that's his best fit. Now, would I be shocked to see him as a right tackle or a left tackle considering his, his length and his uh, lateral movement ability, you know, I would that wouldn't shock me at all. But I think at least initially that's going to be where they're going to throw him in at. And, and I think during Mac Brown's uh, press conference, he mentioned that that's the plan to, to keep him inside. And they see him bulking up to 350 pounds. Imagine uh, trying to run in the middle of that sort of defense with a guy who's 6'8", 350 pounds. That, that is a large human being. That is what North Carolina has needed for years in the middle, and especially with Jay Bateman coming in and installing his defense. It'll be interesting to see how he fits and how he develops. Um, a lot of possibility there, and coaches love potential. And uh, I've heard more than once, I can teach them what to do. I can't teach them how to grow and how big to be, as the Burroughs certainly has that in buckets. Let's talk about um, – Another guy, Don Chapman, and and I'll be honest, this is a guy that came out of the blue for me paying attention to it, and San Diego, California, Don, is a long way away. How does, yes. he, how does he end up in North Carolina at the University of North Carolina? Well, it was just a situation that um, Jay Bateman, you know, we were just talking about him. Jay Bateman really liked him. Um, when, when Bateman was at Army, um, he had to recruit nationwide. So that's that's something that he's accustomed to. And I'm sure somewhere along the line, he discovered, stumbled upon Don Chapman. Now, the interesting thing for me is the fact that it's it's one thing to find a kid on the West Coast. That happens all the time we, with Huddle and, and you know, the scouting services. It's, it's so hard um, to hide guys. So it's it's pretty easy to find people coast to coast, even in Australia and in Europe, we're finding guys. But for me, the most interesting thing is how he ended up coming to North Carolina. And, uh, you know, he obviously took the official visit. 
and it was one of two official visits. He took an official visit to uh, Washington State before the uh, the the dead period, right before the early signing um, signing period. And um, so, really, it was only North Carolina that he officially visited, and he liked it so much that he basically shut it down. Now, he didn't officially shut it down for another couple of weeks, but um, he had other official visits that were kind of in the works, and he decided not to take those official visits, wanted to kind of let the the experience of the UNC visit kind of marinate a little bit, talk it over with his family. I'm sure he wanted to make sure everybody was comfortable with him being so far away from home. I I must have asked him a thousand times about the distance between him and North Carolina, and he kept on downplaying it, saying that um, – Really, any school he's going to going to go to would be far away from family. And really, with the exception of some of the California schools, some of the other schools that he was looking at were really a good distance away where he would have to you know, obviously fly and he'd be, you know, a few hours from from um, getting home. Uh, obviously, you know, it's more than just a few hours, the trip from North Carolina or from RDU really to uh, San Diego. But um, but yeah, I mean, you know, he's a. He just, for whatever reason, fell in love with North Carolina, North Carolina, the coaching staff, and, and just what uh, Coach Coach Bateman wants to do with them. It's uh, the world is smaller these days, but yeah, San Diego to RDU—that's a haul. Don Chapman will be in Chapel Hill. Plus, he has a great thing. first name. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to mention that, but I figured you uh, this time of year, your head gets a little big already. So, with all the solid work. <laughs> And I and I can't give you a hard time like John and Buck do since I don't have you on as much. But yeah, Don Chapman, great first name. Let's talk about Ty Murray, another um, guy in the trenches that North Carolina needs. Six four, three hundred listed. You know he's probably got some growth in him. Maybe not. Speak to what North Carolina gets by signing the big fella from Georgia. Well, I mean he's uh, he's I think he's what Mac Brown wanted, and you know that scrappy competitive center who um, who's just going to kind of set the tone for the, for the offensive line. You watch his, his film. I mean, he, he does a good job of engaging defenders, locking on them and then take them out of the play. And he consistently finishes blocks. Usually finishing his blocks means that the defender ends up on um, his backside, but I mean, he's, He's a guy that he definitely plays with a nastiness, and that's what you want from your center. You want that guy who, who might not be the tallest lineman, but definitely is the meanest, the one that, um, regardless of his size, you you want in your foxhole. You want you want him walking next to you when you're going down a a dark alley. Six four three hundred. I, I can't imagine high school kids that size this year, uh, these days, and. He certainly got it, and you're right. You need nasty offensive linemen. I mean, some of the nicest people I've known, uh, Brian Chacos, Mike Ingersoll, those guys, they are they were nasty on the field, and uh, Carolina needs it. They've struggled in that regard in the trenches the last few years. Matt Brown looking to change that uh, quickly. Let's talk about Ray Vohasek, and I don't want to mess up his name, but uh, another guy that can maybe offer some – perhaps immediate help. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that out of all the guys that signed with North Carolina, he has more experience than any of them just because he played a season of Juco ball. And um, you know, for those who don't know his backstory, he actually redshirted this past season because he had a um, an injury that needed to needed time to heal. And 
him and his coaches felt it was best that he that he took his what would would have been his sophomore season for it to heal, and that way he would actually become more attractive to uh, college coaches. Now, by the same token, though, it kind of um, hurt him because he didn't have that that sophomore season film. But anyway, North Carolina was attracted by the fact that one he was going to provide experience depth at a position where North Carolina is losing a ton of experience. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but during one of the podcasts I did with John, I kind of I laid out how much um, starting experience and just game experience North Carolina was losing to graduation after this past season. So uh, bring, being able to bring in a guy like Fohasic is key. And the thing too is he's, he has experience playing in a three-man line, which will obviously be um, invaluable as North Carolina changes to um, – to the the defense that um, Jay Bateman is going to be installing this spring. Last guy I want to talk about, Eugene Asante, certainly has some bloodlines. Um, speak to what he brings for the Tar Heels. Yeah, the thing with him is he has one of those films that you just you just have to love it. I mean, you just put it on, and it's just it's just um, you almost if you're trying to evaluate it and you're watching it, you almost kind of just become a fan and just start watching just how much energy he plays with. I mean, he's, he is like a missile, you know, he quickly and methodically reads an offense. And then once he sees what he needs to see, he just takes off. And immediately with that first step, he gets a top speed and he just doesn't stop until he gets to the ball carrier. Uh, And, and he's able to, you know, he plays with a lot of speed, and as soon as he makes contact with the the ball carrier, that speed immediately turns into force. And there's very few ball carriers during um, this past uh, football season were able to spin out of or break one of um, one of uh, Asante's tackles just because he's coming with such force, and he's almost he's coming so suddenly that you don't even have a chance to um, to kind of decide on what you want to do, make a move or, or, or whatever it may be. But he's a guy who's, who's going to be a sideline to sideline guy. He's a guy who I think if, if you want a blitzer, you know, someone coming off the edge from the, from the weak side, I think he could do that. He has, he has that, um, that burst to do that. There's a lot of different things he'll be able to do, especially in the defense, like the one that Jay Bateman wants to install. Looking at Carolina's overall class, clearly the big talking point is where it is from uh, the day Mac Brown was hired to today, um, signing day, 2019, and and we can talk about the, you know, the miraculous recovery that Brown did for North Carolina. But a lot of people say, well, you know, are they 30th, are they 29th, are they 35th? Um, why does that matter so much to people? And I know perception matters, and that's a big thing, but. Does it really, when it comes down to what coaches like Mike Brown are looking for? As far as the ranking is concerned, you know, there have been studies. Um, I can't remember. I think it's SB Nation does it where um, they base their, their rankings heading into the season based off of the four-year averages of, of, the, of the team's recruiting classes. And – their predictions aren't all that far off. So there is some, I guess, correlation between recruiting rankings and what ends up happening on the field. But I think for fans, it's kind of like, it's just a sign of hope, you know, especially what North Carolina has dealt with the past two seasons. And then you could look at a class that, yeah, it wasn't, you know, it it was a top 40 class. uh, But um, the fact that it 
would have been way worse or was way worse at one point. And the fact that Mac Brown was able to bounce it back to, I think he moved up something like 30 spots in a span of, what was it? Uh, three months, two months, whatever it may be. Um, so you look at that and you say, okay, that's what he did in that short period of time. What can he do with an entire cycle? And I think, you know, that that's what uh, we're going to see that with the 2020 class, but going back to the 2019 class, I think it just, for fans, it just brings that promise, and you could think, okay, you know, we're we're making a movement in the right direction, and um, you know, I have that excitement again for for the football program. Fans certainly need promise. What does uh, that mean for recruits? Uh, I mean, you, you would see a North Carolina team with five wins in two years, and yet they've recruited fairly well since Mac Brown. How important is hope? and uh promise and you know all that stuff all those positive words when recruits are looking to pick schools win loss record definitely is a factor but i think that you can always combat win loss record with with potential and hope and promise and um and i'm talking about recruits that is because recruits know that what happened last year and the year before and the year before that, that is not going to affect them. Now, does it, you know, obviously some of those players are, are still part of the team and, and all that. But for the most part, all recruits care about, I mean, they're selfish like most human beings, is that they care about what's going to happen to me when I'm on the team for the next four years. And if you can plant that seed that there's a lot of potential for North Carolina to be way better than it was the past couple of years, then you've done your job. And with, you know, having classes that are, that are ranked highly, that kind of helps to, to um, that potential because you can look at what, you know, what Larry Fedora's class in, in 2018 was, was a really good class, the best that Larry Fedora signed. And obviously this class was a great rebound by um, Mac Brown. So you can kind of point to those things and say, hey, look, I know what we did the last two years, but look what type of talent we're bringing in and we want to include you with within that um that wave of 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 talent um and so that you're not you're not going to be like coming to Alabama or Clemson or Oklahoma or wherever where you're just going to continue a trend we want you to come in here and help us be the be the the first to kind of build this program into what um what our vision is for this program Indeed, good stuff there. A couple more questions, quick questions before I let you go. I know you're still a busy man, even though uh, the 19 class is done, 2020 is just around the corner. Uh, most surprising commit that North Carolina got in this cycle? Ooh, to you. Ooh. Good question, good question. Oh, man. Um, whew. Yeah, that is a really good question. There's, there's so many that kind of came out of nowhere. Ah. Um, uh, you know, the, I guess it's such a hard question because like Choffrey Brown, for example, you know, if you would have told me a week ago that he was going to end up in North Carolina, I might've, um, you know, kind of looked at you funny, but once word kind of got out just about, you know, his, his mother's health situation and how he wanted to make it easier for her, you know, so that she didn't have to make a choice on, um, on Saturday, on Saturdays, uh, what school to attend for for a game um that then it makes complete sense you know um and there were some guys like uh you know Tristan Miller and 
and Emory Simmons, who seemed pretty locked and loaded with their particular schools that they were committed to for a while. Tristan Miller was committed to NC State for, I think it was over five months. Um, Emory Simmons, about the same amount, was committed to, to uh, Penn State. And both of those guys, their situations changed, and North Carolina was there waiting with open arms because they needed a receiver and they needed an offensive lineman. Um, so, I mean, really, it's such a hard question because as these uh, storylines kind of start to evolve and, 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 and as you get to that day, you kind of um, – you kind of start to kind of feel like, okay, North Carolina is going to get this kid. We just have so much information nowadays. It's just, it's hard not to kind of see these things coming, but yeah, I mean like a, a week or, or a month beforehand, then yeah, yeah, I could probably name a few for you. Okay. Last question. I promise. Give me a guy on both sides of the ball that may make an impact next season for North Carolina. All right. So, let me go. All right. So let me go on defense first. Kadri Jackson is a guy that I really like. He's a converted, he'll be a converted safety. That's where he mostly played, but he's kind of used of a jack of all trades at his high school. I think um, he's a big safety. So UNC plans to move him to linebacker. I think he's a guy that somehow or another finds some sort of role in North Carolina's uh, defense you know, sooner rather than later for sure. Offense, ooh, I can go a couple different ways with offense. Um, I can go the <laughs> I can go the hot takeaway that's going to uh, be the talk of the message board with Sam Howell. Uh, I think I'll do that. Let, let's let's roll the dice on this a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I was I was actually talking to my good friend, my best friend actually, Ross Martin, and <laughs> um, yeah, he was asking me just purely, and I didn't want to answer this question at the Q&A that we did at the Hickory Tavern. I know you just mentioned the uh, IC signing day party. Uh, for those who didn't attend, we did a little Q&A, answered some questions. Ross asked me a question that I didn't want to really answer because it was team-oriented, and, and I know that Greg and Buck and all those guys are, are more geared to answer it. But after the Q&A, Ross came up to me and just kind of laid it a little bit more and just said, hey, look, just purely off of what we've seen in high school. And that's an easy question. If you're just purely looking off talent coming out of high school, Sam, Sam Howe is the, is the most talented quarterback North Carolina has currently on his roster, no doubt. And it's just going to be a matter of whether he picks up the offense, which is very similar to the offense that he ran in high school. And if he's able to just adjust to the other things that are, that are going on with college, you know, juggling a schedule, um, you kind of being on your own, um, you know, being in practice where you're where you're not the best player out there, where you're not, you know, being able to, to just out um, out muscle and out athlete other players. A lot of these things are, are real real things that that a lot of really good players struggle with. So, if Sam can control all that stuff, he has the ability to play this this coming season for sure. You uh, or have set it on fire, and but I don't disagree with you because with a new system and a new coaches, everybody starts from square one, regardless of whether it's Hal Fortin or Reuter. Uh, North Carolina has some talent, some high level talent at the quarterback position. And the thing too, I didn't. I'm sorry to interrupt. The thing too is that you know, we see is, there is a history of new coaching staffs coming in. They sign a quarterback that they really, really, really like in their first class, and they just say, hey, we're rolling with you. 
and we're going to take your lumps with you. And that's fine because we do have a little bit of a leash because we're new. And then by the time that you are seasoned and you get all this, this experience and everything, that's when that leash starts to tighten up. And hopefully that, that seasoning helps you. And, and there's, there's tons of examples of that in college football. Yeah, and that's I was trying to get there, but you got there a lot quicker than me. I mean, it would not surprise me to see Sam Howell, but either way, North Carolina appears set at the quarterback position um, better than any time in the last couple of years. Don Callahan, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to join me. No problem. It's always good to be on with you, Tommy, the voice of Inside Carolina. Yeah, yeah, and I'm gonna have your. Uh, you better make uh, make up with Buck because I'm gonna have Buck after the commercial break, and I'm gonna tell him that you said Ross Martin was your best friend. <laughs> well, uh, Ross might be my best friend, but Buck Sanders, he's my idol. There you go, Don Callahan. You're listening to the Inside Carolina Radio Show or Inside Carolina Podcast. We'll be right back after this short break. And I'm Tommy Ashley. We're back. I have Buck Sanders and Greg Barnes with me. Um, if you were present at the signing day party at Hickory Tavern in Carborough, um, you already know about this portion because I'm going to ask Buck to tell us a little bit about it. Tell us how it's all come together for Inside Carolina. And Buck, your overall thought on how the day went at the Hickory Tavern. Well, we have been doing these uh, signing day parties for quite some time. Uh, the only year we've probably missed in the last 10 was last year because we really weren't sure how to um, deal with the early signing period. You know, did we have it at the early signing period? Did we wait? And uh, because of the sort of the uncertainty surrounding that, we didn't really have a a, a signing day party but we typically have one and we have been to hickory tavern i think this is probably our third or fourth time being there uh previously we've had it elsewhere uh, in chapel hill but uh before i get any further i just want to compliment the people at hickory tavern they do a great job with us we have plenty of space uh the food is really good the service is really good um and they just accommodate us in every uh, possible way. So hats off to those people. They do a great job. Um, and then uh, the, the second part is that uh, Johnny T-shirt, who is coming back on board as a sponsor for Inside Carolina, um, it, we had to sort of suspend that relationship for a year, sort of related to the move to 24-7. Um, but now, uh, we're, uh, getting back on board with that and we'll be able to offer our subscribers a 10% uh, discount on Johnny t-shirt. They bring some really neat prizes. They brought jerseys, they brought footballs, they brought some art. Um, and then I see provides plenty of swag. In addition to that, uh, hats, t-shirts, cups, you name it. Uh, nobody went away empty handed. Um, so those are kind of the, the nuts and bolts of it, but the camaraderie is the big part of it. You, you get to meet and talk with people that are on the message board. Uh, one guy I'm going to, you know, give a shout out to is, uh, Jersey Hill in VA. And he has been on our message board from the back in the tar pit days and, uh, he, he lives in DC. He can't really make it down here. Obviously he's got a job, does stuff and can't take the day off to come down to Chapel Hill in the middle of the week. 
but he made it this year and be able to meet him and talk with him, uh, was just a really terrific experience and several other people, uh, another couple, uh, Joseph Bell and his wife it goes by the handle of uh, sweet ducky, uh, on our message board. He, he and his wife came up from Atlanta just for this event. And both of those guys just came to, to Carborough, uh, message board posters to participate in this. And you, you get to meet people face to face and you find out that the guy that you think has got horns on his head and, you know, breeze fire is, is actually a reasonable human being. Um, and then there's a bunch of people, um, uh, one of our, uh, big fans of this podcast, Baden Hill. I don't think he's ever missed one of these signing day things. Uh, he's there every year. Um, and so you, you see people like, uh, Baden Hill and, and then you get to meet some of these people that you have never laid eyes on before, but you're familiar with them through their post. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing this wife wick lift or wick life, something like that. Uh, posts on our board quite often has been a member for, you know, well over a dozen years, maybe close more than that. 15, uh, met him and his son-in-law for the first time uh, today. And, and so those kinds of things, par heel, another name that most people listening to this podcast and read the message board will be familiar with. He was there. That wasn't his first trip, but you know, just get it, being able to see people that are passionate about UNC football, live, breathe and, and die UNC football and be able to spend time with them is a great experience. And, uh, so it's a good time had by all. And, uh, a lot of the IC staff was there. Tommy was there. Greg was there. Don was there. Ross Martin, Ben Sherman made an appearance this year. Jim Hawkins, our photographer. Am I leaving anybody out? Who am I leaving out? Uh, I think I might have covered everybody. I think you got but, it. But, uh, you know, your just, buddy Don, who, 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 but I said Don, that, I said Don was there. I know, but I wanted, I told Don I was going to tell on him in the segment before the commercial. Don said that uh, his best friend was Ross Martin. And oh my goodness. He was so glad to see him. And I said, well, I'm telling Buck that you said that. And he said, no, 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 no. Buck is my idol. <laughs> well, you know, there's a difference between being an idol and being a friend, you know, so, uh, I'll give, I'll give Don that. So, uh, but it, it really is a great time. And, uh, if, if you get a chance, we'd love to have you come next year as a great venue. And so anyway, it was a great day. Weather was perfect. We've, we've had days that weren't, you know, 75 degrees and, um, you know, they have a patio area. They, just opened up for us. And so if you get a chance uh, next year, maybe the weather will cooperate even to the extent it did this year. We'd love to have any IC subscriber come by and get to meet other people that are just as passionate about UNC football as you are. Indeed. It was certainly a fun time. It's always good to meet people when you're right. It's, it's cool to see folks in person and, and talk to them on a, something other than behind the keyboard and those that missed out certainly hope you can come at some point. But one thing, I think we uh, built our tailgate base because a lot of people mentioned to me, um, based on our conversations on this show, about how they're in the bowls lot as well and they want to hang out and just continue to grow the, the tailgating vibe 
in Chapel Hill down in the Bowls lot, and we'll certainly do that. It makes you look forward to August and September a lot more when you get to hang out with good people down there. Especially you know? those that have a lot of good groceries and refreshing adult beverages uh, hanging around their tailgate. So, yeah, I'm all Ab- about that. Yeah, absolutely. It, uh, the more the merrier, the more food the merrier. And uh, we'll certainly eat and drink all you bring. So look forward to that. Greg, you came in um, to that function, and you've certainly been busy today. So let's move on to your your duties after the fun over at the Hickory Tavern. You covered the Mac Brown press conference. Most of the listeners probably have listened to that. But just at the in-person vibe, what did you get from Mac Brown there that maybe you haven't gotten or – you know, maybe was different over the past few years in Chapel Hill. Well, one thing I was, I was curious and uh, I've been curious about this ever since his introductory press conference. But at that point in time, uh, he was just ecstatic to kind of be back into the, the fold. You know, he, he'd missed the last five years watching from the sidelines. Uh, and he, he really just seemed um, so excited to get back into it. I mean, this is what he's, he's done so well for so long. You know, so now we're 10 weeks out. Is that passion still there? And undoubtedly it still is. And that's one thing he really talked about is uh, he's had a blast with the recruiting process. And one thing that I've, I've never really heard a, a head coach in North Carolina say, uh, I think Butch mentioned it a time or two, but that's probably about it, is that he, he dedicated a part of his opening uh, comments to the high school coaches, thanking them for the hospitality and for welcoming them and all these kind of things. Uh, and that's, that's strategic, but at the same time, I think it's very honest. Uh, you know, Mac does not come across as the guy who who uses politics just for the sake of it, you having the, the politic gain of it. Um, he actually kind of means what he says. And so I think those are kind of the main takeaways for me is that, hey, he went through all this, which has been just a whirlwind of a three months, basically, a little bit less than three months. And he came out still excited. And now he's ready to kind of get to the part where he can actually coach because they haven't been able to do that. Uh, and so I think that's that was my primary takeaway. And and, and listening to him, um, there was a number of things he said that, that really piqued my interest. You know, the, the fact about you know, wanting to dominate in-state recruiting uh, to the, the point where you know, while there's 10 guys from North Carolina in this recruiting class, in this 24-man recruiting class, that number is going to go up significantly in the years to come. And he made a point that, hey, you know, we're going to get a lot of guys from North Carolina. If we have guys from out of state, they're going to be elite players. We're not going out of state to get average players. Um, and later in the press conference, I talked to him about you know, Tommy Thickpen and his recruiting ability. And Matt kind of came back to the fact that, hey, you know, we've got guys like Tommy Thickpen and Dre Bly, who are not from North Carolina. But guess what? They're from Virginia, and they were elite all-ACC and beyond type players, right? We all know Dre Bly is a all-pro, Hall of Fame uh, talent. And so everything that he says kind of comes back to this, this dominance in recruiting. The fact that you know, he's, he's welcoming kids that don't come to North Carolina from in-state uh, to go to Wake Forest, to go to NC State, to go to Duke or East Carolina or whoever, uh, to me that just that screams confidence that you know if we can get everybody going in state, 
then we're going to have our pick of the litter. Um, and so those are kind of the key points. And one other thing, he, he mentioned it very late in the press conference, but I was in school uh, when, when Mac Brown left to go to Texas at Carolina. Um, and I would like to hear your guys' opinions on this because I would assume you agree, but maybe not. My take at that young age was that North Carolina's primary issue from, from not being able to reach the pinnacle uh, was that offensive line play was never consistently great. We knew the defense was fantastic. We knew they had some good quarterbacks and they had some good weapons at the skill positions, but I always thought the offensive line was a little bit lacking. And Mac actually referenced that, saying that uh, you know, last time he was here, in the state of North Carolina, they always struggled finding offensive linemen that were good enough. But now, and what they've already looked at around the state, because of the population growth and because of such a focus on football in the area, that doesn't seem to be an issue anymore. There's enough talent, guys like a Tristan Miller, uh, who can come in and actually play at elite levels. And so that that just kind of resonated with me because I feel like I've said that so many times over the last 20 years. Hey, Mac was almost there if he had better offensive line play. Maybe they could have beat Florida State some of those years. So just just some of those things that kind of bring back memories of, of his first stint uh, kind, kind of stand out. Greg, I've got a question for you, but let me first address what you said about the offensive line. I think that's spot on. Um, back following recruiting back in those days, which you could still follow to some extent, uh, there were uh, avenues to do that. Um, Mac would sign some really, really – terrific players that, you know, went on and had great careers. You already referenced, you know, some of the guys from Virginia, um, you know, and there were certainly others, you know, that uh, came in and played extremely well. Natron Means, a North Carolina guy, uh, you know, Kelvin Bryant, the Johnson boys, you know, those, those guys. Uh, but, you would look at the signing day classes and he would have these really highly talented skill players and, and defensive players. Uh, and then you look at the office of line and it would be some random guy from new Orleans that you had never heard of and was unranked. And, uh, you just couldn't really understand, you know, what was going on with the offensive line recruiting. And I do think that has changed dramatically. Um, over time in North Carolina, uh, you just think in recent years, um, you, Jonathan Cooper, um, and, and you know, uh, other players that they've brought in Jason Brown, uh, who was a little bit, uh, a few classes younger than that back during the, uh, Bunning era, but, you know, they have brought in some, uh, recruits, uh, from the only offensive line that have, uh, played very, very well for them uh, that have come from the state of North Carolina or nearby. So I, I do think there is a greater reach now uh, in terms of quality offensive linemen within North Carolina's recruiting footprint. Um, but uh, I, there's, there was one question while you were talking and listening to you talking about Mac and his press conference and, uh, you know, uh, your comments about that a thought kept running through my mind uh, and I don't know the right way to phrase it. I, I want to say it's almost like uh, Mac 
brown creep. You know, <laughs> you talk about bracket creep and this, this kind of creep or whatever. The more you listen to Mac Brown, the more that you are sort of drawn to him in, in a lot of ways. Um, and, you know, coming off of an era where we, North Carolina, had a football coach that wasn't the most media friendly. And I, I know that Fedora loved to talk X's and O's, but outside of that, a lot of his other sort of relations with media you know, weren't great. Um, so I, I, I wanted to get you to talk a little bit about the difference between covering Mac Brown and the time you've spent covering Larry Fedora called seven years of your inside Carolina history was spent covering, uh, Larry Fedora, a little bit of time spending spent with Butch, but, um, so what do you see as the significant differences and do you feel yourself getting caught up a little bit? I, and Greg is the most level-headed guy I've ever met in my life, but do, do you feel yourself getting drawn in a little bit sometimes when, when Mac is addressing the media? Yeah, well, let's go back to even Butch Davis. I spent four years with him, uh, and Butch is kind of the prototypical football coach in that when he's talking with media, he's got that coach speech speak aspect to him. Where sometimes he says stuff, and you're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. That's that's just the coach talking. But when you would get into a private setting with him, you, he he played golf. So of course, I play golf, and we always had had that bond. But you could ask him questions about, okay, why why would you do this on this play? Why why do teams do this? And he would give you a frank, honest football answer. It's always appreciated that. And so when when Larry came to town. Larry was very much the same way. Larry you know, is a great offensive mind. And so when you got Larry Fedora talking about what he knew best on the football field, he would talk for days. And people may have a hard time believing that. But there were times when I would sit with him in his office and he would be explaining like the perimeter screen and the value of it and you know how it's, how it's beneficial and how it's going to creep into the NFL, which it has. Uh, it's fascinating stuff. He's opening up his mind, and you get all these details. Yet when he gets in front of the media, um, and he 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 told me this a bunch off the record, that hey, you know, if if it's not going to help the program, then there's no way I'm going to share that information. Whether it be injuries, whether it be details about what we're wanting to do, how we're scouting other teams, anything. And it got to the point things that kind of spiraled out of control late in his tenure that he would even tell us in press conferences. Yeah, you, you, you may not even want to believe anything that I say. That was one of his comments. To, that's paraphrasing, but essentially what he said. And everybody's like, really? Did he just say that? And so there was a level of distrust there that you always had to kind of say, okay, well, why did he say that? Did, did he mean that? Um, and you know, that's not the kind of relationship you want to have because it got to be near the end of Fedora's era uh, that we would have the coordinators and Larry after practice on certain days. And sometimes we wouldn't even go talk to Larry. We would just go talk to the coordinators because they would actually give us intel. And that's, you know, that's not any kind of take on Larry as an individual. He's, he's, a, he's a good man, no question about that. So don't take it that way. But just in terms of how we handled the media, 
there's always skepticism there. And it frustrated a lot of us. It frustrated me. And so when you talk to, to Mac, Mac may not tell you everything, but he's, he's going to be open as much as he can. And if there's something he can't tell you, uh, he's going to say that. And to me, that, that means a lot. Like, I'll give you a great example. So we've heard a lot that North Carolina is switching to field turf. We've talked about it on the boards. That's been topic of conversation for some time. Uh, for those that may not know, when, when Mac Brown was at Texas, uh, Texas had grass. He wanted his team to play faster. So he had them switch to, to field turf for the last five or six years that he was there. Uh, we know that a couple years ago when everything changed with, with the indoor practice facility going in, uh, there was talk around UNC uh, that they wanted to move forward with, with field turf because it hold up easier. You wouldn't have to worry about you know, residing the fields. But Larry Fedora was adamant that he wanted grass. And so that's one of the reasons they did the game on grass and they came in and resided the fields the last two years. Uh, so we had heard that, that Mac wanted to go that route. So I asked him that today because we had asked kind of behind the, the scenes, can we get confirmation of this? And UNC was not able to give us any kind of confirmation. So I asked Mac, and he talked about how he liked it uh, at Texas because it allowed his guys to play faster. And he says that you know, he is in talks with Bubba Cunningham to potentially make the move to field turf. And that's as far as he could go, but before we ended that, back and forth, he said, but I obviously like it. So that was Max saying, look, we're not at a point where we can disclose anything, but I want you to know that I really like it. That's my preference. Uh, and then if something is finalized in the near future, we'll let you know. And so it's just, there's just a lot of truth and honesty in a lot of his comments. Uh, and the fact that you know he, he's adamant that, hey, you, you need to tell me your name, you need to tell me your affiliation so I can learn who you are. When he talks to you, he actually talks to you. He's trying to help you understand you know, whatever it is that you're asking. And that goes a long way. And so that's a matter of, of building the trust. We know he's great with recruits. We know he's great with fans. We know he's good with the media. And all those things work together. It's just interpersonal skills. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's hard not to uh, like somebody like that. Now, does that mean that he's going to elevate this program back to where it was before he left? We don't know that. But in terms of him setting the standard of, hey, this is how we're going to run things. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be honest with everybody. And I'll tell you what I can. Uh, I think everybody appreciates that. And that's kind of a breath of fresh air for all of us in the media. That's a great points all around, Greg, on that. And I think, you know, it's paid off in recruiting uh, I believe I saw one of Asante's, Eugene Asante's relatives talking about, you know, having time to sit down and talk to Mac Brown. Um, you realize, you know, how great a guy he is and how good a person he is on top of the coaching. And, you know, Asante commits to Carolina after everybody thought he was a Virginia Tech guy. I mean, Buck, that's one thing, and we've talked about it a little bit on these podcasts, and I think we probably hit on it during the past um, administration's uh, slide is that if you're likable and you treat people a certain way, then it sort of cushions you a little bit. And, and we talked about that a little bit with um, with Don in the first segment. Is you know Mike Brown's got some capital built up with the fan base. He's got some capital built up. Um, 
within the media, which that ultimately doesn't matter, or maybe it does more than we know, but he's going to be able to do things, whether it's, you know, play a freshman quarterback over the two quarterbacks that have already been here or things like that, that maybe other coaches don't really take advantage of. And that's what I've seen. Um, even when he was younger, he did it, but that's what I've seen since he's gotten to Chapel Hill. He's insulating himself and giving himself that cushion so he can do the things that are necessary that may not please everybody, but they understand because of the way he does it, um, that it's what's best for the program. The field turf is a big thing because people on our message boards have lost their minds, or a lot of people have, that Keenan Stadium may not have grass in it. I don't care one bit. I've been to Notre Dame Stadium. It's field turf. It's beautiful. I've been other places. Field turf is beautiful. I've seen grass. Who cares? But some people take that stuff and are very hardcore football about it and think it should be played on grass. Well, I have a feeling when Mac Brown makes that call, whatever it is, folks are going to fall in line. But your thoughts on just how he's sort of massaged all the relationships that he's needed to massage over the last, uh, I don't know, what's he been, two and a half months in Chapel Hill? Yeah, you know, we can say two and a half months, Tommy, but uh, it's a unique situation because he had tremendous goodwill built up before he ever set foot on campus this time around. That's great there point. were a, a lot of people that uh, look back on the Mac Brown era with nostalgia. Uh, and I'll give you one example. Um, and you know, I, I don't mean to, this is not a call out by any means, but, uh, I'm sure Greg is familiar with the name. I don't know if Tommy is, uh, Jim Sperling, um, who is kind of is the guy that sort of oversees the uh, general upkeep and maintenance of uh, Keenan Stadium. I mean, he's involved in every aspect of of Keenan Stadium. And um, before he got that job, I I think he got that job under Jim Bunning. But uh, prior to that, he, he ran, I think, a service station or something off of there near uh, uh, right there at that, uh, that mall there uh, as you're going into Franklin Street, that little strip mall. Um, and he is uh, probably one of the biggest Mac Brown fans you'll ever find in your life. And, and he's been that way for a very long period of time. Uh, and there's, you know, like dozens upon dozens upon dozens of guys just like Jim Sperling uh, who developed a sincere affection, trust, belief uh, in Mac Brown during his first tenure. So he, 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 when he walked on campus, he wasn't a blank slate. You know, it wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't like they had to learn about a new person. You know, when Larry Fedora got here, you know, uh, everybody, they had, you know, had never met Larry Fedora, didn't really know anything about Larry Fedora, and they knew about, about his record, you know, at Southern Miss or, you know, had been an offensive coordinator at Florida or Oklahoma State. But as far as knowing Larry Fedora as a person, they didn't know him at all. Well, that's not true with Mac. 
there's a bunch of people uh, around the program in positions of authority and, uh, you know, boosters, uh, you know, board of trustee members, you name it, that have known Mac and have socialized with Mac, been involved with Mac for 20 years more, more than 20 years. So uh, I think he comes, steps into the job with a great deal of capital in terms of people know who he is. They, they know, they've had experiences with him. They've had good experiences with him. And so he's going to get a huge benefit of the doubt, um, you know, for who knows how long. Now, it's a different time and era. And there were times during Mac's tenure where, you know, he didn't escape criticism. There, we still talk about the, the game in 96, which name cannot be named. Um, and, you know, the, the call there uh, as they're driving into the end zone there and the town that we won't mention. Uh, but that's those things you know, were, you know, occurred along the way during Max tenure, but there's so many other things that people remember about Mac Brown that were, uh, you know, really uh, tremendous experiences, you know, the, the bowl win, um, you know, I think maybe in 92 against Mississippi state and, and other, uh, you know, games and situations during his tenure, the first 10 years he was here at UNC, that's going to give him a cushion outside of the personality that we already know that he has. So I think he comes with uh, a double layer of insulation in a lot of ways. Uh, the the, the person that he is today, if you'd never met him, never talked to him, had no dealings with him, and you spent 15 minutes with him, or maybe not even that long, you would develop some sort of inherent trust or, or belief that he's telling you, uh, he's giving you good information. He's being straight up and honest with you. And then there's that, you know, 10 years of goodwill that he built up while he was at UNC, um, you know, from, from 88 to 97. So uh, I think those are the things that uh, you'll, you'll really help him early on in his, t- you know, this Mac Brown 2.0 era that we're going through. I said multiple times before and during the hire and after the hire, Buck, you and I talked about it. Nobody they could have hired could have put Carolina football where it is right now. Uh, nobody. And could have built that uh, the excitement that brown has the staff that brown has all everything i don't think there's anybody in the country that north carolina could have hired that could have done that short of you know one of the big three and i'm not even gonna get into those names because that's ridiculous to even think they were possible but none of the other names could have done it and matt brown's done it i'm gonna take a short break we're gonna come back got one more segment want to talk about something we talked about off the air And, Buck, I'm going to steal your question and ask Greg, but I'm going to do it after this short commercial break. Greg, when we were bantering back and forth uh, before we started recording this podcast, Buck brought up a a good point, and uh, I think it's worth discussing, is the the bridge class 
uh, aspect of Mac Brown's uh, first recruiting class in 2.0, as Buck put it, and then Butch Davis's back in 07. Good discussion off air. Let's try to recreate it here on the air. Um, I think Butch Davis's class in 07 was uh, 10th in the country, maybe. Um, but he had some things to work with. Mac Brown comes in and he's, he's probably going to be in the third, high 30s, um, give or take. But not really a lot to work with. Your thoughts on what we discussed off the air and how Brown was able to put it together in the short, especially with the early signing period, the short uh, time frame that he had versus how Butch did his back when he got on board. Yeah, well, I would say I'll let Buck kind of dive into the the, the Butch aspect. Uh, but I think we all know uh, that John Bunting – Oh, wow. Uh, that was a unique situation. And it was that North Carolina hired a guy uh, who had ties to the university, but he was not uh, aware really of how to run a college program. And I think as Bunting went along, he made strides and, and got better and understood how to recruit and some things like that. And so as a result, uh, I think by the time that, he was shown the door he had you had some pretty good success recruiting and i think you know butch came in and and was able to capitalize on that um larry is a little bit different story where larry came in had some experience um had some some decent recruiting success early but kind of like we talked about with how he approached fans and media when things kind of went south uh, I think he had a hard time connecting with recruits. And I think, you know, I, I don't know this for fact. This is, this is this is my opinion. But I really think that that had to be a driving force in UNC's decision to go ahead and get rid of Larry this fall. Is, is yeah, the, the product on the field has been bad, but recruiting was in the tank. And if there's no hope for the future, then why are you keeping the guy on? Um, and the day that Mac Brown was hired, I guess November 27th, UNC's recruiting class was ranked 62nd in the country, which is as low as I can remember it ever being. Um, and so for, for Mac to step into that situation, even though Larry had done some some groundwork with some of these guys, for him to step in that situation and 10 weeks later improve that ranking by 30 spots, because as of tonight, I think they're 32nd in the country. It's phenomenal, um, especially when you factor in that uh, he had an early signing day to contend with, which Butch did not. You know, Butch had a full two months to kind of navigate, or actually had longer than that, to navigate the uh, the scene and be able to land some guys. Um, and so for, for Mac to do what he did and getting how and getting Tristan Miller and Emory Simmons and some of these guys before that initial final period. And that's that's one thing Mac really uh, got on, uh, kind of got heated about today during his press conference, is the early signing period. And how it, it wasn't, it's not set up how they initially wanted it to be set up. And so it's a really, really a disadvantage for new coaches. Um, he was pretty passionate about that. And I'll, I'll have a story up about that uh, on, on Thursday. Uh, but the fact that he had to deal with that, I mean, I think it was uh, 20 days, maybe 19 days after he was hired was that first signing period. 
and then to finish it the way they finished it and getting a kid that was all signed and sealed and delivered up to Virginia Tech and the Sante. Uh, it just speaks volumes about you know, how the staff did. And I think it really sets the table for what should be a fantastic 2020 class. Buck, your take on the Butch side of it. He, like Greg mentioned, Bunning had, and it's weird how it worked. Uh, Bunning got better at the recruiting thing, you know, and then Fedora. And I think it really is what we've talked about is uh, the, how you, how you're liked in whatever form and Bunning, uh, whatever his shortcomings were. Uh, and he had a plenty, but he also was, uh, well-liked and well-liked by, you know, high school coaches and whatnot, because he was able to sort of grease the skids uh, for Bun- for Bush to come in and then close that class out. But Buck, your thoughts on that? Because it, I think it is a fascinating look at, you know, one university, two very different situations. Yeah. The Tommy, the bridge, um, class aspect of it is is one that's really fascinating if you compare the two situations uh the transition from john bunning uh to butch davis and and the transition from larry fedora to mac brown Uh, those the two bridge classes if you look at them butch davis did a much better job with his but with his bridge class it was a top 10 class but if you go back and look at the two situations, um, it was actually around uh, October the 19th of 2006 when North Carolina knew after the road game at Virginia that Bunning was going to get the axe. That's kind of when they made the call. And, and they may have even announced it. Greg can correct me if I'm wrong, but within a week or so after that Virginia game, they announced that he was going to be fired and finish out the year. Correct. Um, and uh, so they, they had from October 19th to start looking at and deciding and trying to persuade or, or, you know, get a new coach in. So they had a very long transition period uh, to bring in the, the coach to begin with. And, uh, so you, you would have to imagine that talks with Butch Davis, you know, uh, well preceded his actual hire and, and that transition, he, he was like Mac Brown. He wasn't, he wasn't employed at the time. He could step on campus and, and begin recruiting without worrying about bowl games and, you know, finishing up with his previous team or what have you. But if you look at that class that. Uh, North Carolina had at the time, you know, Butch is uh, made a huge splash by uh, signing Marvin Alston in that class and and by bringing in uh, Greg Little, flip Greg Little from Notre Dame, you know, added some other guys. But, you know, some of the other guys that he added weren't all that well-known, like uh, Charles Brown was uh, a you know, from Ohio, from an area that, uh, uh, you know, Mac knew well, Matt Merletti was a two star, uh, uh, that, uh, and not no aspersions on Matt. He, he became a very good player for North Carolina. But if you look at some of the other guys that, um, uh, Bunning had teed up for, uh, 
um, Butch Davis. Mike Paulus was already verbally committed to UNC, and he was one of the highest-ranked guys in that class. Uh, Rashad Mason, the same. Tydreek Powell, another four-star. You know, several other guys that were in that class. Ryan Houston, uh, Quan Sturdivant. Uh, were all they were well on their way to signing those players, whether or not Bunning stayed or um, was fired as he was. So they had a huge start on that class when Butch Davis walked in the door. And then, of course, he added some pieces to it uh, that made it into a great class. Mac Brown had the exact opposite uh, situation in many ways. Uh, for most of 2018, we kept hearing over and over and over again that Larry Fedora was going to stay. They were going to, you know, sort of force on him some changes on his staff and give him another year. There was a huge buyout to consider. There was a lot of factors in play that, you know, all pointed to Fedora staying another year. And in my opinion, it really wasn't until the Duke game towards the end of the year where things turned south for Fedora. And, and then the powers that be decided that they, they did really did need to make a change. Um, and then you have the early signing period involved. Uh, I think there were like six guys that in the class that was, you know, Greg talked about was ranked 62nd in the nation. Well, six of the players that counted toward that 62nd rank um, were were guys that Mike Mac Brown had a conversation with and, and said, you know, maybe you might want to look someplace else. Or they decided their own. We don't really know the exact particulars of that. But uh, for the most part, we I think most of us uh, assume that uh, Mac had a hand in facilitating them uh, leaving North Carolina. You take those six guys away, North Carolina may have had a class in the 90s. Uh, 62nd, you know, would have been uh, a good ranking, um, you know, minus those six players. So that that's where Mac Brown started from. And from him to get from there, and, you know, every four-star in his class – and, and some would argue that North Carolina might have ended up with Sam Howell anyway, but the, the other three guys that they signed in this class, the other three, four stars, I mean, for the most part, they weren't even on the radar. Uh, they flipped, uh, Tristan Miller. Um, you know, uh, they, uh, flip Eugene Asante, um, you know, uh, Coffrey Brown. Maybe they would have gotten him anyway, but who knows? And so, you know, the 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 fact that he brought in and, you know, we can debate about Harold or not, but all four of the four-star players in his class basically were all guys that Mike Brown or his staff convinced to sign on the doubted line. Uh, you know, Fedora didn't have, you know, any Quan Sturlevance or – uh, you know, Tydreek Powell's or Dwight Jones's or Ryan Houston's teed up for Mac Brown um, when he left Chapel Hill. So I think in terms of the bridge year, what Mac Brown did getting this class from where it was to 
you know, 32nd or 31st, whatever it ends up being from where it was is a more impressive feat. I think in my mind than what Butch Davis was able to accomplish when he came in in uh, you know, the 207 class. So it's interesting to compare the two and the two situations. Um, and, and I think it's also interesting. Uh, one other uh, comparison we could make uh, the class that Bunning signed the previous year, he ended up redshirting a bunch of those players. He could have played a lot of those guys on that team, uh, you know, in uh, that he signed in 2006. Uh, you know, he could have played those guys that year, but he ended up redshirting a bunch of them, and which which Davis also benefited from. Benefited from, and the parallel there is that uh, Fedora, even though this particular class. Uh, the 2018 class or the 2019 class was, you know, look in dire straits in 2018, he signed a really good class. So, uh, if you combine the, the class that Fedora signed in 2018, which was ranked 20th in the nation and the class that Mike Brown has, has just recently signed plus the, uh, you know, the, the players that were on the team before the, those two classes, North Carolina doesn't have. Uh, the talent deficit, I think, that a lot of national or even maybe ACC members, media members, believe they do. So uh, I had a guy uh, offer me five to one odds on uh, taking the over on the uh, win-loss record, uh, Tommy. Uh, so, you know, I think Greg was six and six and you were seven and five. Um, so I think the right now it's six and five. He was offering five, uh, five to one odds that North Carolina would uh, win the over today, but uh, maybe a little bit of blue blinders on. But uh, the point remains: I don't think the talent level uh, is uh, being accurately gauged overall in the media at this point. Well, I would take that bet just for the statistical purposes. But <laughs> yeah, I, I think the I think the the fact remains that when you look at what happened in North Carolina in 2017, we talked about all injuries. And it was unbelievable that that team won three games with the amount of injuries they had. And then if you fast forward to last year, because everything kind of played out as poorly as it did with the suspensions and everything, you kind of overlook the fact that that team had a ton of injuries too. Not quite to the level of 2017 and not quite to the level that Wake Forest had last year but still significant. Uh, and so when you put all those together, if Brian Hess can get those guys healthy, uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's plenty of talent there for, for Mac Brown. And I think he saw that. And I think that's one of the reasons he says, Hey, I think we can win early is because he knows there's talent on hand and that, you know, if they can find them a quarterback and there's some young options, uh, they should be able to get to a bowl game next year. Now the schedule is a lot tougher. And that's kind of where my my debate on it is, is, yeah, they're going to be a lot better, but that schedule's a lot tougher than it was last year or the year before. Um, so we'll have plenty of time to have those conversations. But, but man, five to one, uh, I, I like those odds if we're, we're talking uh, six and six. Absolutely. Uh, Buck Sanders leading the uh, hype brigade for 2019 football season. I like it, Buck. I think you're going in the right direction. We'll talk a lot about it 
you know, spring practice is coming up before long and we'll get into that and we'll get into the weeds over the summer. And then it, it starts in Charlotte and it will be here before we know it. Just to uh, be certain that we're clear on this. I wasn't offering five to one. Uh, right. Uh, right. Right. I'm aware. You know, yeah. So, so, so who, uh, who out know, there, who out there was, if you're listening to this podcast and you're offering those odds, call us, send us an email. <laughs> We'll collect uh, this time next season at the NCAA. Or gladly, or gladly pay out. How about that? How about that? So, yeah, it's always fun, guys. It was a fun day. Fun, always fun to talk to Don. I hadn't talked to Don in so long. Thank him for joining us in the first section of this show. Greg, I know you've been busy. Buck, you stay busy. Um, I just kind of like drive the car and you guys carry the weight. So I appreciate y'all taking the time. 2019 signing day in the books on 2020 thanks boys thanks tommy thanks tommy thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of unc sports your home for tar heel football basketball and recruiting